What's happening, guys? This is Creating Space. I'm your host, Wes Knight. And on this show, I bring to you influential individuals in society to have a conversation and a dialogue and allow them to share their experiences in life in hopes that they'll give you some artillery for your arsenal on your journey of life. I want you to be able to learn, grow, and ultimately decide to create space to become a better version of yourself. This week, episode nine, I bring to you Vic Howie. Vic is the founder of Charlotte's own Whitewater Center, and this place is truly incredible. Let's hear Vic's story. Guys, I'm sitting here with Vic Howie. I mean, College of Charleston graduate. We're sitting in the Merrill Lynch Wealth Management Office here in Valentine. This guy has an awesome bow tie. He's got a presence of a creator. You can tell this guy has taken the time to make things of value in society. Vic, tell me a little bit about that idea of the Whitewater Center that came to you, albeit on a napkin, after a couple of glasses of wine. Well, uh, I had the benefit of working in three different arenas um, around the whitewater sport. One as an advocate, one as a supporter through Bank of America's support of the Olympics, and another of just being a family member. Right. And these different worlds sort of collided one night at the uh, team trials in 2000 at the Ocoee River. And sitting in the living room of gold medalist Joe Jacoby, who won the gold medal in Barcelona in 92, with his partner in in two-man canoe, I was listening to the conversation and just these conversations that were being had by the athletes, the coaches, and long-term supporters that were sitting in that living room having a beer or drinking a little bit of wine, it started to dawn on me there was a real opportunity the Sydney Games would be the first to have a circulating, circular whitewater arena. Okay. It was like a track, like track and field. You could sit on one side and see the whole course for the first time. Normally, canoe and kayak races, you're either at the top, the middle, or the bottom, and right. you don't see the whole race. Now you would. It's just like watching a 100-meter or 400-meter race. Wow. That changed the thought process totally. So... In the U.S., all of our athletes have been going to Sydney to practice for the Olympics. Sure. And my question after a glass of wine was, why do you have to go down there to do that? Why don't we have one of those here that you can train on? And everybody laughed and kind of joked about that. And the next question after the glass of wine is, why don't we have it in the south? Because the Nanahela River's here. That's where you all practice anyway, the Ocoee and the Nanahela River. Why don't we have it in the south somewhere? And then after that, third glass of wine, I got a little <laughs> bold and said, what I have it in Charlotte? Right. And the reason that was so funny and everybody laughed so hard is because Charlotte had no paddling aura whatsoever. So um, everyone's thinking, what is he talking about? I mean, no Charlotte, chance. Charlotte's great at, you know, football and basketball, but not at, at paddling. And we didn't, we really didn't have a river you could do whitewater training on anyway. Right. So that was not a barrier. Because what we had just learned that night and what was so exciting in pulling all these threads together was you can build a whitewater center course anywhere you want to now. Okay. You can bring the U.S. Olympic team here to train because you've got the course that every Olympics from Sydney on will be using. Right. And you can also make money with it by inviting families and people to come in and be part of this Olympic movement 
yet be able to paddle on the course with Olympic athletes. You don't get to get on the track and run with uh, you know, a 400-meter sprinter. You don't get to throw the javelin with somebody. You don't get to play basketball with the Olympic sure. team. But you can paddle with the Olympic canoe and kayak team. And you can still do that today here in Charlotte. That was the emphasis. We really were hanging on the uh, Olympic rings to bring it here. So yeah. all that collided at one point. I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> so uh, with the uh, wine really in, in, uh, moving yeah. <laughs> through my veins, <laughs> I pulled a napkin out and drew the Bank of America Tower and a couple other taller buildings that are uh, in the uptown scenery. Right. And drew a little whitewater, circular whitewater center with a little stick man kayaker yeah. going down. And I uh, showed it to my friend, Chet Rabin, who was sitting next to me. And he kind of said, yeah, right on. You know, <laughs> I, I get it. Well, here's the thing. I've seen your TEDx talk. Mm-hmm. It's a great TEDx talk for those of you listeners. It's called Wine and the Napkin. And you can find it on YouTube. You can find it on the TED website, TED.com. And you actually still hold on to that napkin, albeit your vision Probably not the best of artistic after a few uh, glasses of wine. My mother would be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but let's say this. Your idea was so eloquently said and visually put that people believed in it. And you created a tribe. And your tribe, you say, is of three individuals, how you started in that room. There were three individuals, including yourself, that began. Who were the influencers there? How did they help you take that idea from a napkin and then gain some momentum? Well, Chet Rabin was um, absolutely instrumental. We were partners through this whole process the whole time. Okay. And we worked well together. I think I was good at um, sharing the vision. Right. And Chet was even better at doing the research and making sure the vision can be done. You know, it's that yin and yang. We right. really worked well together. It's like a good marriage. Sure. And as partners, we were able to make a lot of headway with a couple other people, Joe Jacoby, whose living room we were sitting in that night, had been a very good friend for a long time. His inspiration of the gold medal, the Olympic movement, what the Olympics mean to people, he's great at elaborating on that, and he instilled that in us as well. So that was a a heavy influence of why we wanted to do this. And then lastly, we had a couple other folks that were on board, and I mentioned in the TED Talk right off the bat Jim Chandler. Jim Chandler was an attorney here in town, but he was an amazing athlete. Played wow. golf in college. He was an amazing paddler. He sponsored some of the uh, Olympic canoe and kayak members to right. get them to different Olympics over the years. And was just very inspirational in the way he pushed us and challenged us to take the next step. And so that little cadre of people were sort of the genesis after we sobered right. up. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> once you sober up, it's like, we really want to do that? Uh, I know. I can't tell you how many ideas I've had that have been great after a few drinks, but I never followed through with them really after. And that, that's so impressive to hear that you were able to do that. Uh, and they pushed you and held you accountable, and exactly. you all were pushing each other in that synergy. You needed that push because this was a case of, you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes yeah. not knowing is a lot better because you don't have any fear of rejection. We just didn't know. We didn't know how the city would react. Didn't right. know um, the, the powers that be. You know, if we want to be a world-class city, which that was bannered around a lot in the 90s and, and early 2000s of Charlotte, if we want to be a world-class city, what better way to do it than provide a venue that most of the world participates in at a higher level than we do, particularly Europe and our trading partners, Germany, the United Kingdom, France, the Czech Republic, those areas that we have a lot of businesses here in Charlotte with, they know about this. So maybe it's a good attraction, but we didn't know. We just didn't know. But it did work out that way. So you mentioned fear. 
Mm-hmm. And I've learned as I become more of an entrepreneur and, and creating space grows that the more I know, the more fear that can be associated with it. And sometimes it can be paralyzing. What are some of the biggest fears that you had in this journey of creating this idea, right? And how did you deal with that fear and that doubt? Because it's a big project. You had to acquire land. You had to acquire, you know, investors. You had to get the city and the state behind it. I mean, what are some of the bigger things as you look back and reflect that you were fearful of or doubtful of? Being able to pay attention to it day to day because we were all working people. Okay. So after the uh, break we took because of September 11th, where any kind of activity, not-for-profit organization got hammered during that time. But when we kind of, as I said, when we sort of uh, blew on the embers and reignited the flame in early 2002, we found a leader, Jeff Wise, who's still the the managing director out there and executive director at the Whitewater Center. We found him. He found us, actually, and expressed great interest in taking that leadership. That was a big deal because that meant somebody was on the ground day to day, you know, 24 hours a day thinking right. about this in ways that all of us who were working, the board, we had a big board at that point. We had the names in Charlotte that you want to see on the letterhead sure. so that people would pay attention because Vic Howie, Chet Raven, those were not household names. Sure. But, but Hugh McCall, you know, the people like that that we had on the letterhead were very important just to get the attention. And then Jeff was able to drive that. That alleviated a fear that I had. Because we had great people, right? but nobody could step up to do it day to day. As we moved down the path and found the property out where it is today, as opposed to being uptown, which was the original plan, it became a much bigger project. And the price started to escalate with the things that we could do, which were exciting. But the fear of being able to find the money was disconcerting in really? a lot of ways. Sure, There was a moment in time where we had to have some working capital to start getting plans drawn and to start you know, feeding the fire. Yeah. And like any good startup, you can't keep going if you don't have some cash. Right. And the cash was king at that point, and we needed it. Eight of us board members sat around a table at American Community Bank in South Park and signed a loan document with each of us having a one-eighth responsibility if it failed. And it was $150,000, so it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was meaningful money to all of us. Sure. And it was, that was a nerve-wracking afternoon, quite frankly. What was going through your mind as this day was coming and you had to pick that pen up and write on that line? It was tough, and it was tough for several people. And actually, one guy stepped away and said, I'm not sure I can do this. Did he, said, did he really? Yeah, yeah, he did. did you, were you close to doing that, or did you know that no, there was no I, stopping you? I, um, I was totally bullish on what we were doing in every single way and was already all in. I was nervous about it because of the ramifications to our family. If we had to step up and each fulfill the one-eighth, and you know, if somebody defaulted and didn't do it, the rest of us were responsible for that. It was right. joint and equal. Right. Um, so it was nerve-wracking. Yeah. But we all knew, everybody around that table except the one who had the doubt, we all knew we were going to get this done. Didn't know how, sure. but the path was already open, and we were walking down, actually running down at that point, and we were running to the hill, and um, we were going to get it done. So the fear was really overcome by the feeling that we actually might know what we're doing. Right. And you had a total group of individuals who were all, you had put them in their right and strongest, most advantageous positions for them to do their best work, right? One of the guys, named. Tom Wilson, he had been in several startups and been successful and also had gotten beaten down. 
he'd been there. And I think he was the driving force for most of saying, we need to do this. Sure. We're, we're, we're on the right path. We are going to get this done. And I think we all felt really good about it. And that. once you signed your name on that line, there was no turning back. Oh, now. no, no. Now you were in. Yeah. And it was real. The money was spent. How, how long thereafter from signing your name on that line was the opening day for the Whitewater Center? Do you remember? Well, yes. It was, um, I think we did the signing in 2003. Okay. And the center opened in August of 2006, wow. which we're just about to celebrate the 10th anniversary of that opening. It's huge. And the next step was to put together a financing package for what we were going to do. We needed plans. We needed to get architects on board. Right. Get a designer for a whitewater river. Where do you find that? I mean, what bank's going <laughs> to want to fund a whitewater artificial whitewater right. river at that? That's like uh, wanting to ask a bank to finance a space station. Yeah. You just don't do it. No. But it worked out. Um, we had some really brilliant people. This is where you, you've got to rely on, on the smarts of others. And we had some really good financiers. Um, Bradford Berry was one with Bank of America and Carlos Evans, who was a big leader here in town. They were able to craft a financing package that met the needs of a series of seven banks, two large banks, two super regionals, and then three community banks. Wow. So we brought the community in and made it work, and that's when we ultimately got taken off the note and it became a a full-structured note uh, or or financing package for getting it done. And And here we are today, almost 10 years in. Incredible. Here we are today. I still get chill bumps when I walk out there. I just look around and say, I remember. Wow. If you could do it all over again, Vic, would you do anything differently? Um, I could sit there and maybe say all day long there were things we could do differently. Sure. Nothing that would have changed the trajectory. It was such a powerful experience. Every time a hurdle got placed in our way, we didn't just jump over it. We jumped over it by a mile. Love it. And that's because of the people that were involved in this, this passion. I have to say, you know, we talked about that lightning in a bottle in the living room that night of those three things that I knew and triangulated that would be hard for someone else to have seen sure. to make that happen. That happened over and over again. There were points where none of this should have happened. If you look back, none of this should have happened. Right. But we were in a point in time that it did work. 2004, 2005, 2006 were pretty darn good economic years. Um, there was a lot of reasons that Charlotte and Gastonia and others embraced this. Mm-hmm. And because they did, because of the timing, it got done. If we were off by six months or a a year, this never would happen. Getting the opportunity to sit down with Vic and hear the story of the Whitewater Center was so important to me. And I love that he brought to attention how important timing was. And I'll give you a little bit of a story of just why this particular story was so important to me. So it was around about a year ago in August of last year, and I'm just retired from soccer, and I'm thinking, I got to get out of this house. Man, all I'm doing right now is thinking about playing. I'm watching my guys, the Railhawks, every weekend on on the telly. And so finally, I decide, okay, it's a Saturday evening. There's River Jam out at the Whitewater Center. I keep hearing about this River Jam Festival. And what River Jam is, is they have a live amphitheater in the middle of the circular track at the Whitewater Center, and they play bands all throughout the night. And just an excellent time for people to come, listen to music, hang out around the Whitewater Center, grab some beer, some drinks, and enjoy 
good fun and fellowship, right? So I decided to get out there early. And before River Jam starts, I want to get out on the paddleboard. I hadn't done it since Vancouver, and I just need to get out of my own head, right? So I get out to the Whitewater Center, get on a paddleboard, and I start heading up current because the last thing I want to do is have to battle that current when I'm tired and ready to get back to the Whitewater Center. So I head on upstream. What seemed like an hour was probably only 20 minutes battling the current, and I decide, okay, this is enough. So I turn my paddleboard around, and I just lay, literally lay down on the back of the paddleboard, and I just start talking to myself. Okay, Wes, here we are, man. You're no longer a player. You're now coaching 14 and 18-year-old kids. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? There is no going back. You've now made this decision. And in that 15, 20-minute ride downstream, I started to understand how I was so connected to nature and how important it was for me to go introspective and to continue to have a dialogue with myself. And I decided right there when I landed back to the Whitewater Center area that I was going to buy a paddleboard. And that was going to be my saving grace was to get out on the water at any chance and to get uh, a, a closer, more deeply rooted relationship with myself. So I did. First thing I did when I got home was I hit Amazon Prime and I got a cheap $300 paddleboard. And I got it because it was Amazon Primable. And that thing would get to me in two days. And I wanted that paddleboard ASAP. So it gets to me and I get out onto Lake Norman. And I spent so much time alone on that paddleboard in nature, talking to myself, having real dialogue with myself. And what I'm realizing now is that the idea for creating space to motivate individuals, to inspire people to never feel the darkness that I once felt, all came from an idea from Vic Howie to create a whitewater center for people to be able to compete and enjoy all of the experiences that Whitewater Center can bring. It's all about timing. If Vic Howie and his crew had not had that idea on the napkin and been so passionate in pursuing that dream, I would have never had the opportunity to sit atop a paddleboard in the Catawba River and find out how important it was to to me to get in nature and then to be able to have a real honest dialogue with myself for what I wanted for the future. So that's why I wanted to bring Vic on the show and I want to talk to you just a little bit about how timing and passion, when they collide, they create greatness. Understand if you're ailing right now, if you're feeling, hey, I don't love my job like I thought I would. I don't love the relationship that I thought I was in love with. Everything works when timing and passion collide. Figure out what it is in your life that you're ailing with and take a magnifying glass and really look at it. Spend time with it. Every dark opportunity can only be illuminated by light. So shine the light on whatever it is that you feel you need to grow in. For me, it was finding a newfound passion. It was finding a new direction. It's something that I really resonated with that I could chase with my whole heart. For you, it could be something different. 
But the only way to illuminate your dreams is to shine a light on your darkness. You've got to really find what it is in your life that you need to change and be willing to go through the pain, the embarrassment, and the shock and awe factor that it takes of looking at some of those things that you really have been pushing away. Challenge yourself today. Challenge yourself to go beyond your comfort zone with yourself. Have a real, honest relationship talk with you. Whether that be journaling, whether that be in the mirror, whatever it takes for you to honestly spend real time with yourself to come to a conclusion about what it is you're wanting to get out of this life, what it is that you're passionate about, or what it is you want to change. And a lot of individuals, they get lost in looking too far into the future. And because they have this paralysis by analysis, they feel that what it is they see in the distance is too unattainable because there's just too much that goes into it. It is cliche to say, but the only individual that's ever going to get into your way is you when it comes to your dreams. You know what it is you want to do. You can see it very clearly in your mind's eye, and it's up to you to be able to have the courage to make a leap because I promise you that parachute will open, and it may take longer than you think. This is where trust becomes paramount. You need to be able to trust the process, trust yourself, and trust the passion that you have Because if it is coming from an authentic place, you will attract so many other individuals who will come in and in some capacity, they will be able to help. Whether that is providing you maybe with an investment or even just sitting with you on a day and helping pull you out of the doubt that you may have in yourself and in the process. Vic showed me what it takes to literally move mountains. This guy created an avenue for himself and he moved dirt and sand and rock out of the way to create a gorgeous white water center right there in the middle of the Charlotte community. I hope that you decide that your greatness, your best version uh, is attainable, and I hope you start today. I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to be the best version of the individual you want to be in the relationship with yourself. You will obtain your greatness, and it starts with go. Never look back. Just don't ever look back. And for those of you Friday night lights connoisseurs, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I enjoyed this episode. I really hope that you continue pursuing the best version of yourself. Remember, you can follow all of this Creating Space stuff on my Instagram and Twitter and social media accounts. Snapchat, it is Knight, one word. Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at at Wesley T. Knight. And on Facebook, I've got a really cool live version of the podcast where we get different individuals to come on the live show uh, and hang out. You can find that at facebook.com forward slash west.night. We've got an exciting announcement to announce here in the coming week. Uh, I cannot wait to be able to announce to you some of the greatness that we've got aligned for the future of creating space. I hope you've enjoyed it. I really hope that you continue to create space to passionately pursue the best version of yourself. You guys have a great one.